0: So it turns out the grass is greener on the west side of the Rhine River. That's where France's parliament has passed a new law that requires green roofing on all new commercial buildings.
1: And we've got funflation. According to the Wall Street Journal, skyrocketing prices
0: for live events are now making it too expensive to go out and have fun. And Chester told us it ain't easy being cheesy, but now in California, it's outright illegal. Red dye number three, among other food additives, have been made illegal, and these are in commonly known foods like Cheetos. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nate. We're two OBGYNs who care about the environment and how it affects our patients. So in 2020, we published the first paper about climate change and pregnancy in a top medical journal.
1: It had tables and everything. The day the paper came out, the New York Times wrote about our findings. And 10 hours later, Joe Biden tweeted at us.
0: Then a bunch of other things happened. So now, like everybody else, we've got a podcast.
1: Welcome to the Green Docs. In this episode, our Halloween episode, we're going to be joined by Sonia Talamantes, a local San Diego hairstylist and makeup professional who's been doing this kind of work for more than 20 years. She has lots of practical tips and precautions for people to know about as they think about holiday costumes and costumes and makeup in general. I'm Bruce Bacara. I'm an OBGYN in Southern California and a longtime eco
0: activist. And I'm Nate Dinicola, a private practice OBGYN and the delegate to our national and international OBGYN societies on environmental health. So Bruce, uh, it's been a few weeks since we hosted an episode here. What's been new with you?
1: Lately, I have been sampling a bit of the San Diego food scene. I've just had reasons. to uh, been going out with friends that are in from out of town and a, and a date or two here and there, and I have found some surprisingly good restaurants in an area that's been known in San Diego for many years as having nothing better than good food. Two great new Italian restaurants in La Jolla, one called Marisi, another called La that I think are on a par with Italian food and and ambiance as good as anything I've had in San Francisco or Los Angeles or maybe even New York. I was quite surprised. And Nate, by the way, they both have an excellent cacio e pepe.
0: Well, now you're speaking my language. That's my go-to dish to test any Italian restaurant. So it passed your test, the cacio e pepe test? Yes.
1: And you're right. It's such a simple dish. If it's not done perfectly, it is glaringly apparent. The other thing I've got a really cool uh, reservation at tomorrow is to go to something called a sound bar, which apparently is the sort of thing that's very popular in Japan right now, where they have custom sound systems and play these very highly curated playlists. But the sound quality in these rooms is so good that it's really the focus of going there. They serve cocktails. But people actually uh, supposedly speak in quite hushed tones, and everybody really listens to the music. So I'm kind of excited to see this sort of cultural move from Japan appearing here in San Diego.
0: Now, do you have to host a podcast to be allowed into this sound bar? to have demonstrated <laughs> you've got the equipment and the, the audio file to handle it? No, but I think they do
1: expect uh, people to be quiet when they're there, and I don't think you're going to get anyone who is going in to entertain themselves. I think everybody shows up just to listen to the music on these custom sound systems.
0: I'm excited about it. Well, this kind of food scene, you say on par or better than San Francisco and Los Angeles, maybe is why I just saw this article that San Diego is the most expensive city in the United States at present. Does that feel what it's like down there in San Diego? Does it feel expensive? Um, well, I don't know. Hotel price inflation and restaurant price
1: inflation, I don't think are unique to San Diego, but certainly, yeah, we're seeing prices go up significantly. When you go to these really high-end restaurants, you expect to pay a bit more, but uh, I'd be happy if this trend is slowing down.
0: Yeah, well, we'll have to get a trip down there and, and try some of the restaurants. I've, on TikTok, I've seen a number of recommendations come through for the best breakfast in America is also apparently in San Diego.
1: It's getting to be a foodie town, and we've got, of course, one of the major centers of the microbrewery movement here, and their beer tours that are recommended by the New York Times. It ain't a cultural backwater anymore, or or a culinary one either, which is really kind of exciting. But speaking of exciting
0: locations, Nate, how was France? Yeah, the food was terrible. Oddly, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> really no, I'm kidding. Of course, it was it was fantastic. And when when your brother's a chef, you get all the the recommendations from. Kind of the, the insider uh, network. So our um, first on his list of recommendations was a place called Frenchie. I know, very appropriately named for a place in, in Paris. The restaurant itself is a Michelin starred restaurant, but then right across the street they have a wine bar where it's no reservations. You just show up and usually wait in a, a decent line. But because it's a wine bar, they they give you a glass of champagne or give you a glass of wine. And you kind of hang out there in the alley right around it, enjoy your beverage. And roughly by the time you're done, you get to get seated. So we had a, a unique experience there. They uh, came out and explained the specials, one of which was monkfish. And uh, in classic Parisian way, they're like, well, you know, this is prepared the absolute best that it can be in the entire world. But also we have no plates to serve it on. <laughs> <laughs> what? So, yeah, they, they were so busy that night. they ran They literally ran out of serving plates. So Kendall and I had our dinner there but we both had to share the plate that it came on as part of just what the dish was served on. There were no individual plates for, for each of us, but a very delicious meal, nonetheless. Any other highlights for being in Paris or the meeting that you were attending? Yeah, the meeting was the, the International OBGYN Society called FIGO, and this was the World Congress, which happens uh, once every two years. So it is kind of, and it's the first one we've had in person since COVID. It was kind of a big deal to get everyone there in person. And Jeannie Connery, uh, who was concluding her tenure as president, was leading this Congress. So the whole thing was really a like a pep rally for environmental health and women's health. We got some great content and recordings that we we're posting on our socials. But one thing I, I did want to call attention to was that leading up to this Congress, our environmental committee, which which I chair, published a new statement on screening for toxic chemicals in prenatal supplements which is an area that at least I think in the United States, people have kind of this illusion of safety about when really when you dig into it, they're not tested thoroughly. They are tested a little, but but not thoroughly. And there's a whole host of chemicals that we have now published in this document that can call attention to additional things that need to be screened. That's right. I would have even
1: assumed that a prenatal vitamin would be one of the more safe things that you that anybody could take. But what you're saying is that that isn't the case and hasn't been the case up until now.
0: Yeah, there's, there's two surprising statements. The first is the supplements do get tested. It's a misconception or misnomer that things that are in the vitamin or supplement area are outside of FDA jurisdiction entirely. Uh, they do get tested. But the second surprising thing is that they don't get tested enough. When you get a third-party lab to go in and really investigate, you find not only does it not necessarily have the amount of folic acid that you would want, which is the main reason you're taking it in the first place, but it also, I mean, some of these samples came through and had like uranium in them. People who work in labs said it's almost as if they swept the floor before and dumped it into the manufacturing process. All this is to say we've got a lot of work to do on a really old and tried and true part of our field. And this Congress and this statement by FIGO was, was a strong first step.
1: Sounds like a very important step to take. And it is shocking how many things that we assume are safe that turn out uh, on closer inspection not to be. But of course, the follow-up that I'm really looking for hearing about is, did you bring home a bunch of bed bugs?
0: <laughs> we took the advice that you gave and, and several others to put the suitcases in the bathtub right away. And we were looking, you know, like in the hotels did have tarping out. So it, it did look a little different. Uh, fortunately, I can say no, no bed bugs came back. And the inside in scoop we got from Paris was that there may not really be any current outbreak of this happening. It's just that with the Olympics coming up there next year, there's more attention to it. And so, you know, officials are trying to get it to be even cleaner.
1: Well, I was thinking we could have a, a special section of this episode devoted to talking about these pests. And I've even come up with a name for that segment, if you're interested.
0: You know, let's name episode uh, four. Sure, let's do it.
1: No, I thought we could name this discussion about pests you need to be careful about. Tell me what you think of the name. We could call it tick <laughs> Uh
0: I love it. I don't think anybody's come up with that name. I think it really has some legs. Yeah. <laughs>
1: We're probably in violation of several copyrights at this moment. So backing away from that, let's go to the headlines. What was this headline about green roofs in France?
0: Yeah, I know we are a little uh, France heavy right now, but this is where the Congress was. And I think you naturally notice news from an area that you visit. And France is doing some cool things. They passed this countrywide law that for all new commercial buildings, at least a portion of the roofing has to be greened. And green can mean either that you you have plants uh, that are on the roof or you have solar panels. So either one counts. it does not need to be the entire roof, which was a response to the business interests, which were saying this is going to be just too expensive, it's, it's too onerous. I thought that was kind of interesting that they were factoring that in and, and basically making compromises. And I think it's interesting because the end result is it gets this work done and it moves forward. And there are a number of benefits to this that we can get into, but I was curious if you had heard about the story.
1: I did hear about it, and I was very pleased to see it because moves like this, when I put on my local advocacy hat, remind me that these kinds of moves by one country or even one municipality within a, a county are often contagious, that when somebody does it, The other people around them, the other governments around them, start to think about it and say, well, if this is where things are headed, we want to be on this sooner rather than later. And as you say, there are tremendous benefits to this. You mentioned the issue with cost, and that's always a concern up front. But one of the major benefits to having a green roof or a roof that absorbs heat and rainwater and things like that is that these kinds of things will cut down on operating costs of these buildings because they really do help regulate the internal temperature of the buildings that have roofs like this. So, yeah, it might cost a bit up front to do this, but although temperature regulation is by far not the only benefit, it's a substantial one that can make that investment really pay off over time.
0: Yeah, it's pretty interesting, you know, that the green, the plants on the roof will collect rain, and so that helps cool it during the warmer months. And then it blocks snow from building up on the roof, so it keeps it warmer in the colder months. Really, kind of interesting natural bioengineering to a, to a building. The other two that that were highlighted uh, were improved air quality. Sort of obvious how this happens, you know, where the CO two is trapped or sucked in by the plants. And to your point, it really does need kind of a contagion to work. You know, we love to talk about individual things, and certainly it's great for people to have plants around. But if one or two people put plants on the roof, it wouldn't really do much air quality in a city. But if all the buildings or if the majority of buildings have it, it really does start to improve the air quality. And additionally, again, this is more so with the plants than the solar panels. There's kind of a biodiversity factor here where you have more insects and bees. And last episode, we were talking about mosquito populations and that you, you need kind of some healthy competition among the mosquitoes. Otherwise, The only ones that are left are the really dangerous insect uh, vector-borne illness kind. It looks like some interesting things, and we'll see if Germany on the other side of the Rhine River uh, takes a cue from France.
1: And I also think that there is a, a benefit of having these buildings with roofs that have greenery on them. And I've also seen some really innovative designs for apartments that have greenery on the sides of the buildings or on the balconies. It softens the look of a concrete jungle, as it were, of a downtown area in ways that I think are beneficial, not just pleasant to look at, but actually make you feel a little less surrounded and and overwhelmed by the city around you. I think it's just more pleasant to walk around areas that have greenery.
0: I mean, as if Paris couldn't be any more beautiful. Can't wait to see how it looks in a few years with this.
1: Yeah, I'm very pleased to see this. It's great.
0: We were talking about San Diego and, and it getting expensive. Is this part of the expense? The outdoor events are, are getting funflation?
1: Yeah, this is a term they coined that just about the rising cost of attending live events like uh, Taylor Swift's concert and prices typically well over $1,000 per seat. Other in-person live events of any kind. It apparently is an area where price inflation is really starting to surge, and it's pricing some people out. But at the same time, there are other trends going on. I think people are getting more and more used to, particularly on the younger end of the demographic, more used to viewing things on either laptops or iPads or even their phones. So it's kind of moving in the opposite direction, and it doesn't cost that much anymore to have a high-definition TV and a good sound system at your home. And probably hear a concert a whole lot better than you'd ever hear it if you were in a crowded stadium with a bunch of people talking around you and you have to sit miles away unless you're spending tens of thousands of dollars to get a really good seat. There are, I think, dueling trends going on. We'll just have to see how this shakes out. But there's no question that concert tickets have become a lot more expensive. Probably kind of a post-pandemic response. People were just so tired of being home all the time. They're willing to pay more to get out. And, and there's a social benefit, too, I think we shouldn't downplay, about how nice it is to be in a stadium or in a in a theater, whether it's small or large, and just be around all kinds of people you don't know. I think there's a benefit to all of us to do stuff like that.
0: What was the last in-person concert you attended? Concert? Music concert? Yeah. A long time ago. Yeah, pre-pandemic?
1: Yeah, yeah come to think of it, yeah, pre-pandemic, I th- I think I saw... One of the great R&B singers at the Hollywood Bowl about four years ago, and that's probably the last thing I've been to.
0: Yeah, we went to see the Red Hot Chili Peppers in SoFi Stadium as the first post-pandemic concert. And it was also the first concert that John Fruscianti, their lead guitarist, was rejoining the band for. And it was absolutely packed. Literally standing room only. Phenomenal concert. Amazing energy. Uh, And and we we paid a little price for it, too. So we, we felt some of that funflation.
1: Yeah. And then to tie it into environmental issues, frankly, if these prices keep going up and people do spend more time watching these concerts from home, there may be a a benefit to all of us because catching bad bunny from the comfort of your couch avoids the greenhouse gases from travel. And it's not uncommon for people not just to drive long distances to a concert, but to fly some to some other city to see a single event. And it's, frankly, I'm a bit of a wet wet uh, blanket here, but it's not the most responsible choice, given the state of our climate, to jump on an airplane just to go see a concert. Also, on the health side, I'm willing to bet that the majority of food that you buy at at a big event like that is probably not the healthiest stuff you could be having. And you might even avoid bringing home the latest virus gone viral if you watch that concert at home instead of going to a crowded theater.
0: Well, I'd much rather watch Bad Bunny on the couch than encounter a bad bug on the couch. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm kind of torn on this uh, because, you know, this was the same dynamic being discussed at our recent World Congress in Paris, that, you know, we're, we're flying people from all over the world to attend this event. There's obviously a carbon footprint to that. And is it really worth it or responsible? And that that's kind of all the talk in the planning phase. And then you attend and, you know, you get there in person and it's so energizing. And it's so dynamic. And you meet someone in person who you've only seen on Zoom, you realize they're like a foot taller than you thought they were. And uh, you just get to know them in a way that you, you can't do remotely. And it, it at least it feels like it is worth it. So maybe maybe there's kind of a dose about this that, that can strike a balance.
1: Well, the green docs are not saying stay home and don't ever go out and enjoy these things. I think we just have to keep the big picture in mind, and perhaps, as you say, make individual decisions about things and also consider the environmental impacts of them as well. But anyway, how about your other
0: headline you brought up? Yeah, it ain't easy. It ain't easy being this cheesy. If anybody knows that, it's us with our cheesy dad jokes. And the story here is about a bill in California that has been kind of inappropriately called the Skittles Bill, even though it does not ban Skittles at this point. But what it does do is uh, it outlaws certain food additives and chemicals, including red dye number three, some parabens, and that would affect some foods like Cheetos. Pepsi has red dye number three. And the concern about about this chemical in particular is that there are mixed studies, but some concern about it being a carcinogen causing cancer. And, you know, very relevant to our field, it also is implicated in learning disorders, behavioral disorders, things like ADHD and autism, which would be kind of through the hormone disruption pathway. A lot of you know other countries have already banned these. Skittles, in fact, among other things I mentioned, are illegal in Europe. Those are due to the titanium dioxide, which are in some food coloring. That's what gets Skittles in trouble in Europe. It's still legal in the United States. But the, the main point here is that you know the United States, being led by California here in this case, is catching up with a lot of the rest of the world that is requiring these companies not so much to stop doing what they're doing and stop making their products, but to use something different, to not use something that is known to be toxic.
1: And to hopefully avoid a few iterations of what you, you have referred to as regrettable substitution, where they maybe swap out the titanium for some strontium 90 or, or anthrax or something like that, that they get it <laughs> right the next time.
0: We need a little bell, like a little ding, ding, ding every time we say regrettable substitution. (laughs) (laughs) It's in at least three episodes now. We're going to get this concept into the public.
1: And speaking of our bad tendencies and little bells and things like that, if you have any comments or questions, or you want to tell us, never say regrettable substitution again, or any other opinions you have that you'd like to share, please go to our website, greendocspodcast.com, all one word, and send us your thoughts and questions. And maybe you'll tell us you want more regrettable substitution. Who knows?
0: I can't wait to hear. Sounds like addition by subtraction.
1: We'll be right back with our interview and talk about Halloween and makeup and costumes and hair care and all kinds of important things. Hey, and we're back. We have the pleasure today of talking to Sonia Talamantes, who has 20 years of experience as both a hairstylist and a makeup artist. She has worked in commercial print fashion, bridal and salon with her abilities around makeup and that is really kind of our focus in this episode because we're talking about Halloween and Halloween is all about costumes and costumes often involve makeup and makeup is a part of many people's lives on a daily basis. So again Sonia, thank you so much for your
0: time. It's great to be able to
1: have you on Green Docs.
2: Great. Thank you so much for having me.
0: All right, Sonia. So we're we're here approaching Halloween. Is this a busy time for makeup artists? Like, are people seeking you out to help with their costumes?
2: It actually is, especially depending on the type of event that you're going to go to. Most people, if they're going to an elaborate event, are going to want very detailed Halloween makeup, depending on the costume, of course. And uh, it can take a fair amount of time. I was telling Bruce that which he did not know that in my previous... um, Actually, what brought me into makeup was I used to be a former costume designer, and that's what I got my degree in. So theatrical makeup was one of the reasons that I actually ended up in the beauty industry. And um, yeah, it's fascinating. It goes hand-in-hand, character and and makeup and costumes. They all kind of fit together. So we do have a high volume of requests at this time.
1: That's interesting. I've never... I never knew that, but people actually just come to the salon purely for their makeup that they need for the Halloween costume. What are what are some of the more interesting recent costumes and makeup you've helped people out with?
2: We have had everything from what we would consider like a theatrical beauty makeup, so somebody who wants like an authentic 1920s flapper makeup perhaps. You know, there's a lot of kind of specific period looks, as we call them, dating to 30s, 40s, things like that. We also get people who might want something um, like skeletal, for instance, you know, of course, we can't do anything three dimensional, any zombie makeup, things like that, because that requires prosthetic pieces and glues and such. But as far as the salon industry, yeah, we do get a quite a bit of people that just need overall general, like theatrical or character makeup. So skeletal, Skeletons, Dia de los Muertos, mostly beauty or vampire style type of makeup.
0: Have you had any requests for Barbie or Taylor Swift this year?
2: Oh, goodness. <laughs> um, no, actually, thank God for that. I feel like we do that on a normal basis. So we'll save that for every day <laughs> versus Halloween.
1: What's the most memorable makeup you ever put on somebody?
2: It would be on Me. I've done a full phase, especially in theater. We did a lot more character, but when we were learning prosthetics and such, I actually turned myself into a white tiger. So I had the prosthetic nose, full transformation, I guess, similar to what you would see on cats when they put the mouth, you know, the cat face prosthetic, and then I did the white and striped tiger face. And that is very time consuming, believe it or not, the detailing and not mixing of the colors and such. But I would say that was probably the neatest because I did look like a a feline in a cat, which was really neat.
0: How long does makeup like this take to, to bring someone into character?
2: Oh my gosh. Honestly, it can take so long. It could take anywhere from an hour to almost two hours, depending on the interest, intricacy of the makeup. I mean, you, you forget too that you're actually working on a three-dimensional canvas of someone's face. So there's a lot of time and detail and uh, slowness that you need to have it with a steady hand so that you're not getting makeup in the eye or um, mixing your colors. There's a lot of processes and steps too, so that the makeup actually doesn't smear and it sets and it layers. So those are all things that people don't think about when you need something to last for hours of a night.
1: Yeah, they are putting in a lot of time to just go to a party for a couple of hours or or get mm-hmm. some pictures taken or something like that. Do you occasionally have clients that are just really kind of difficult to work on either because their face just not doesn't agree with the chemicals or they don't, or they won't sit still? Have you had uh, some issues with certain clients?
2: Absolutely, all of the above at one point or another. (laughs) (laughs) You go have everybody, as simple as just fidgety, can't sit still, takes too long. They want to look everywhere instead of be still. To someone who could be very difficult, uh, who doesn't maybe communicate well with whatever it is that they want done, doesn't have photos, doesn't, you know. So it's kind of hard to be creative also when maybe someone has a certain image in their head of what they want done but doesn't have like any photos or anything to give the artist a better I guess, picture and and what they want. But yeah, absolutely. You can definitely have people who are difficult skin as well. That's big. I mean, we're talking about cosmetics today. Um, If someone's highly, highly sensitive to any type of makeup, that could be something that might not work out right away. If someone starts to feel any types of burning or irritation, absolutely, we'd have to remove it, right, and find out which was the product that wasn't working well with their skin. There's various things that could happen. We absolutely try to find out if you have any allergies before starting, because that will eliminate where we put things, what we use, and things like that.
0: Well, speaking of sitting still, uh, I have to tell you, my aunt cut my hair and my brother's hair when we were uh, growing up. And to this day, she, she kind of can tease me about the story. When I was moving all around and pointing to birds and, you know, doing all kinds of movements and uh, sure enough, you know, nicked, nicked part of my ear. And, oh, and so yes. so ha- hazards of, of the job, I suppose.
2: Yes. I'm sure you were very traumatized.
0: You'd think that, Nate,
1: at 24 years old, you would have been able to sit still. You would think. You really would.
2: <laughs> I'm sure you got the classic bowl cut, too. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, these were classic 80s looks. I mean, they were straight out of like uh, E.T., you know, uh, bike rides. So this is our Halloween episode, and we're, we're so fortunate to have a professional makeup artist on with us. So, Sonia, we have to ask, do you personally have any plans for Halloween this year?
2: Yeah, I've been many things over the years, some which have taken no time and some that have taken hours of time. Um, this year, I think... To represent my culture, I'm Hispanic. I'm going to go ahead and do a Dia de los Muertos skeleton, which is typical of just the regular skeletal face paint makeup, but also incorporates a lot of beautiful colors and floral designs.
0: We'll we'll want to see a picture of that at some point. Just out of curiosity, because that makes me think of the movie Coco. Uh, Have you seen the movie Coco? And like, how true to the ceremony is that movie?
2: Oh, my gosh. It's such a beautiful representation of our culture and our beliefs. I would say they did a beautiful job representing kind of our beliefs. And I think it's very, very on point with our ceremonial um, events that we have with the altar placements and how we honor our ancestors. So beautiful movie.
1: And Sonia, just pivot us a little bit. We are obviously interested in the environmental side of things. Do your clients ask when you are giving them uh, various kinds of makeup, either for costumes or, I guess, bridal events or other sorts of of, uh, big dress-up things, do they ask about the ingredients and the products that you're using, or do they just assume that because you're the one who's applying them, they don't have to think about that?
2: I would have to say, unfortunately, it's the latter. I would say not very many people at all question the type of makeup that we use, typically. Um, I think they're under the assumption that just because you're in a professional environment that the ingredients and the, the makeup is going to be, you know, I guess naturally great for your skin um, and healthy and safe for you. So it's a big misconception, I think, out there because although... The hair care industry in that aspect has changed and technology has taken over and they've gotten better with their science to eliminate a lot of toxic ingredients. Um, I think that the cosmetic industry is lacking.
0: Sonia, what kind of things do you look for as a professional in the space?
2: Of course, like when you're first dealing with a client, you want to make sure that they have no known allergies or, you know, allergies to synthetic ingredients or natural ingredients first and foremost. But for me, typically, I'm actually also an environmental lover and animal lover, as you can see, my little dog back there. (laughs) So I am first and foremost, I try my hardest to make sure that I purchase products that are going to be labeled as a clean beauty, which I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what clean beauty products mean. Um, it doesn't mean that it has to meet all requirements, whether they're vegan, cruelty-free, um, non-toxic, things like that. That's what it should include all over and healthy for the environment. But they could literally have maybe one or two ingredients in there and deem it as a natural beauty product, which isn't the case does you know, our FDA system is not really as strong as it should be. And so for me personally, I try to meet all those criteria if I can, but it's almost really impossible and rare at this point with the different types of cosmetics out there to actually get one brand that will meet all of those requirements.
1: If the world was functioning as it should and you were the head of the FDA and could oversee all these sorts of regulations and the direction things are heading in, what would you want to see first or most importantly in terms of the the whole beauty care industry and the products that are using? What sort of changes would you hope that they would put into place?
2: I mean, it brings me to a thought of like an article I read in Healthline about toxicity and makeup. And, you know, there's over 1300 toxic chemicals banned in the UK or in Europe, I should say, whereas we only have 11. That alone is just surprising and astounding. And I feel like most people should be very concerned about this. So I think first and foremost would just be going through our ingredient list and taking out what we need to. And then secondly, I am such a big animal advocate. I mean, if I could, if science could be there without testing on animals, that would be my second priority to also to change.
1: Well, I think we are seeing trends move in that direction in science in general to be able to eliminate a lot of testing. Cancer chemotherapeutic drugs are now often modeled on computer as opposed to doing any sort of testing, live testing on them. And they're at least able to do a, a substantial portion of that testing for not only toxicity, but also for uh, effectiveness without ever getting anywhere near a live organism. Uh, I, think, I think that is a possibility.
2: That would be amazing. I think it's so important for just the environment in general. We're all interconnected in some way or form, whether it's our planet, to the animals, to the sea, to us, right? So it is a really a green circle. And I think we need to be health conscious in all levels.
0: Yeah. And so there's there's another side to this equation, which is professionals like yourself are interacting with the makeup and the hair products and, and all these things on a daily basis in your work. How, how much of this is discussed among you know, professionals in the beauty industry about what the workers get exposed to on a regular basis?
2: Actually, I would have to say that there is a big concern amongst employees, um, especially with products that, you know, admit aer- like things like aerosol sprays that may have toxicity in them. Currently, right now, sitting on the desk of the FDA is to ban you know, hair, chemical hair straighteners and smoothing products, um, also known as keratin treatments to most people. Those, you know, I'd be surprised at how many clients when I tell them that there is formaldehyde in the product and that once it's processed and um, it emits a gas within the salon. So not only is the hairdresser or the stylist affected this, but the client in the chair immediately and the rest of the salon. You know, if you're not uh, equipped with adequate ventilation, and you're exposing not just one or two people it's typically like eight to ten These are big concerns of all of us we're lucky that we do have respiration gear now and we don't um, we have gloves so we don't always touch all of the chemicals but i think it is a big health concern amongst professionals
0: what's the reaction like when someone learns that formaldehyde is in something that's going into their skin or their hair Because I kind of come across this all the time when I'm telling patients about the lack of testing for, say, a a vitamin or a supplement, and uh, it's usually one of a pretty genuine shock.
2: Oh, I mean, flabbergasted. I think once people actually hear from a professional, too, they are beyond shocked that this is just such a toxic, toxic product. I don't know if it actually changes their mind about getting it done. Um, unfortunately. But I do wish that we could find a way of producing these products without using these types of gases or products. I mean, I'm sorry, um, toxic ingredients. I just don't know if the science is there to be able to create products that will work as well. And I think at this point, some of the consumers are more concerned with the outcome and longevity versus hindsight, what it may do to them in the long term.
1: Yeah, it's a bit of a good news, bad news story. The good news is you look fabulous. The bad news, we just poisoned you and it's going to cost you a fair amount of money. So is the industry sort of rising up in any way? Any sort of a unified voice speaking up for accelerating this process of removing toxins?
2: We do have people advocating for a safer work environment. And it is an organization. People are concerned. Again, we're still in the professional industry. I don't know how long it'll take to change some of these things in the industry, but I do believe people as well as just the general population are more concerned with health and environment nowadays. And we're going to have to eventually keep up with the times and the demands and require that the FDA or whoever may be doing so be more restrictive on the ingredients that are used.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful to hear. And I can tell you there's support coming from the medical community. Our professional societies have published guidelines, uh, some of which I helped write, that are calling these out more in terms of what doctors can incorporate into their clinical counseling uh, when, they, when they talk to patients who, who would be either receiving some of the beauty treatment or, or who work in it themselves. Uh, and there's another group called Project Tender, not Tinder, but, but Project Tender. <laughs> and uh, their, their whole movement is, is to call out chemicals that uh, potentially could be damaging to the baby's brain development, avoiding risk for things like ADHD and autism. By reducing at least a few of the toxic chemicals but you're right there are thousands and we're calling out you know dozens
2: yes absolutely i mean i don't think most especially in female i'm just representing females exactly is that i don't think a lot of us know as consumers like how that really affects our system our estrogen levels any um like you said just our future reproduction systems, things like that. It's just so important for us to be more mindful about how these things affect us, especially young children and teenagers. I think I was telling Bruce that over the years, I've actually seen just kind of more hair loss in women and I think a lot of it's due just to extra hormonal changes or like you said in toxic ingredients that may be changing things in our system that cause us to either develop more faster or less or affect our whatever it may be so over the years I've seen general more hair loss in women and I do think it's just by adjusting things maybe it's actually from our day-to-day beauty products that we're so you know involved with but It's a huge concern, and I'm so glad that this conversation is happening.
1: And now, speaking of toxins that are getting onto our skin and in our hair, I have to tell you, I've become a bit of an Instagram shopper in the last several months because Nate's got me on social media all the time now. To promote this podcast, <laughs> and Sonia, you may know that there there are these uh, ads now coming out about showerheads with filters, supposedly to reduce the toxins in shower water that are supposed to help your skin and hair. So now that we have a professional to ask, is is this a real thing? Do is a is a showerhead with a filter really worth spending the money on?
2: Yeah. I mean, if you think about the water filtration systems that you already purchase in your home, the soft water systems, they actually do improve everything on your body. And the same would apply if you don't already have an in-house filter system. Getting a filter showerhead would definitely um, improve everything. It is going to actually filter out those good old minerals. From your everyday water and your tap water, it does affect, believe it or not, your hair, your hair color for those ladies that need to know that. So, yeah, having a filter system definitely improves whether it's your skin and also just like your hair texture and your hair color for that matter.
0: Well, I think Bruce and I have the same social media algorithm. I've seen the same directed ads. So uh, I think I know what the Green Ducks White Elephant Gift Exchange will be this year. (laughs) (laughs) i'm not waiting for then
1: (laughs) i'm ordering mine today Sonia, do you have any recommendations we know you've got a busy schedule lots of heads to go and make more beautiful do you have any recommendations for people that are thinking about using makeup for a halloween costume or some other event around the holidays anything's really a kind of like top three things to to look for or to avoid
2: That's going to be really hard to say, especially during Halloween time, because a lot of the products that are out there that are at your Target or what have you, your Halloween costume store are probably going to be very, very toxic to children and to adults. I would highly doubt that you would find any type of certified labeling on those products as well. But my recommendation would be if you are going to go shop specifically for Halloween makeup, Maybe if you can check, um, if you know any of toxic ingredients, maybe do look at the ingredient list behind when, before you purchase. Be sure to really, really cleanse the face very well after that, maybe a few times. I think a lot of those times the makeup is very, very hard to remove. So definitely doing a better job at cleansing everything off. Follow any glues that you may be using as well. If you can also buy adhesive removers, things like that, and then cleanse your face as well after that. Those would be my pieces of advice. But in general, I mean, it's hard to memorize all the toxic chemicals out there, especially with the scientific names. But if you can memorize at least the photos of things that are like recognized as cruelty-free, vegan vegan certified, um, USDA certified, those are all things that you want to look for.
0: Yeah, thanks, That's such good advice to look for some... High level labels that might cover a lot of different toxicity screens. At the end of this episode, we're going to run some of the, the top chemicals to look for formaldehyde and all the hides you've already mentioned. And one of the things that we're going to be giving are the names of some apps that you can scan the barcode, you can use to scan the barcode and quickly check if they have any obvious known uh, toxicity and, and what those are. So that there is a bit of tech on the way to help with this.
1: And it sounds like the other just kind of common sense recommendation that you're making is to make sure that you remove these makeup products and glues as soon as you can and do that thoroughly so that they don't get a chance to linger and get into your system in higher levels. I would also assume you would recommend that if it's the cheap stuff you're just buying for a Halloween party or something like that that doesn't have a lot of reassurance on the label that you use the least amount of that product as you can to get the effect that you want. So you're not just slathering it on with a roller brush. You are being uh, more targeted with your application. So these things just sound like they would be, if you would agree, Sonia, kind of common sense steps for people to take to reduce any harm.
0: Well, Sonia, thank you so much for for joining us and giving us some real insider information and some uh, unique looks at no pun intended there. On on how people will be uh, dressing themselves up and transforming into all kinds of exciting characters. Halloween such an exciting time. We want really to enjoy it. So the idea is to take one less haunting area. You know, you know one one less thing to worry about haunting this Halloween when it comes to the costumes. Uh, so so thanks for joining us, and we we look forward to uh, perhaps you can share some pictures from the, the Dia de los Muertos with us.
1: Thank you, Sonia, for being here. We are excited to share this episode with everybody before Halloween.
2: Great. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thank you.
0: You know, one of the joys of hosting a podcast like this is that we get to talk to people outside of the medical field who we don't always get a chance to sit down and really spend a good 20, 30 minutes with. And the interview with Sonia reminded me and I think will remind you of how much there is to think about in these daily choices about what uh, deodorant we put on or or if you wear makeup, what kind of makeup you're putting on. So, so grateful to Sonia for giving us a really in-depth look at what she as a professional faces every day. Uh, Many of us face it every day, too. We just don't think about it the same way. On the cue of making you a healthier, happier person and what what can you do that would be really simple to help protect yourself, I want to give you two things off the bat. The first are the apps that I mentioned that will scan the barcode of whatever it is you're looking at and tell you, maybe not perfectly, but give you a pretty good snapshot of possible toxic chemicals in them. The first one is easy to remember, Uh, Think Dirty. Remember that any way you want to. And the second one, also pretty uh, pretty well branded, Yucca, Y-U-K-A. These are two apps available in the Apple Store. And uh, they will give you a a good snapshot of what's out there. So you don't have to memorize those alphabet soups of of long named chemicals. The second thing to think about, especially for Halloween, this is probably more of a Halloween guide, is, uh, you know, some do-it-yourself options that uh, would be less toxic. Uh, For kids' face paint, for example, there really are some pretty doable potions, concoctions you can make at home with things like cornstarch and some vegetable-based dyes. So we'll include links for those instructions, uh, and it might be a way to make your kids Halloween costume a little less scary this year.
1: And a little less unhealthy for them, Uh, particularly when these things become habits, they add up over time. So those are good directions to be heading in. And we want to, as always, pull back the lens a little bit and think about community impacts of our regulations and the way that governments can help to protect us. And so one of the things that Sonia pointed out was that working in a salon, she's exposed to lots of these chemicals, many of which aerosolized, meaning that they are carried up into the atmosphere of the of the salon and circulate around there for a while. So people that work in those salons are exposed to all kinds of these chemicals, as are the people that work to manufacture them. To varying degrees, I'm sure those protections are somewhat imperfect. So when you hear about these regulations, you can be supportive of them, not only in terms of the way that they might help protect you and your family, but also these other workers that we depend upon who deserve to not have health risks incurred by virtue of the fact that they work around these things. So we can do better. We should be moving in those directions. And it's for the good of everybody if we protect these people.
0: Yeah, Kendall's parents are both in the beauty industry and that jumped to mind immediately when Sonia mentioned like, you know, we're we're part of this too. Like we we experience it every day. So, yeah, don't forget about those workers. For our OB 2.0, this is what uh, you you could expect to be talking about or or hearing about in a uh, clinician visit. You know, I I think there is something worthwhile about doing a little bit of a deeper dive into some of the more common chemicals if you're going to be talking to patients about what to avoid. The apps are useful. I think that that's a good place to start, but for the healthcare professionals, you can be looking for an obvious one, like heavy metals, so mercury and lead. Those are obvious neurotoxins. They can damage the brain. They are on the labels if, if they're in there, and they can be avoided. Uh, you know, We're reminded uh, Jeannie Conry told us our first experience with OBGYN societies was a question about lead in grocery, like drugstore brand lipstick. So be on the lookout for those things. Uh, a chemical called parabens. Is often labeled, and the label parabens free would be better than than nothing. Also, there's a label out there that is a little bit tricky and and perhaps to be avoided called unscented. Unscented should basically make you think about noise canceling headphones, where they send out a pulse to cancel other pulses. Unscented products actually have more sense in them in a way because they add extra to cancel out the other ones. A better label to look for would be fragrance free. Again, while not perfect, it is generally speaking less toxic stuff in there. And a final note about kids' cosmetics. Uh, again, this is more for Halloween side. Look out not just for the lead and mercury, those known heavy metals, but also, believe it or not, this is a thing that's on labels, arsenic and cadmium. Those are heavy metals that are more often found in the kids' face paint, and you can avoid those with uh, do-it-yourself, uh, and it might mean more coming from the doctor.
1: Good advice and very timely this episode will be coming out on October 26th so I'm very glad that uh, we're getting specific about these things so people can use this information but after all that Nate I'm guessing you could use a mocktail I'm starting to like these mocktails
0: I gotta tell you <laughs> <laughs> me too yeah so what do you, what do you have for us today
1: I am sporting a can euphoric kinspritz and orange juice
0: concoction How about you, you you're loving that Ken euphoric I am. Uh, We were just obviously in Paris, and so drinking all kinds of Aperol spritz, not the least of which was because it was 85 degrees there in the middle of October, (laughs) untimely, unseasonal heat there. So I I went with the uh, alcohol-free version of an Aperol spritz. There's a company out of France called Gifford that makes uh, alcohol-free aperitif syrup, so it's like Campari. And then I've got some sparkling cider here for the champagne part. Looks pretty delicious. How does it taste? This might be my favorite yet. Really? Some combination of these aperitives, digestives that are just, they taste so much like the real thing. And then, you know, I got to say, apple cider, sparkling apple cider has got to be one of the better alternatives. It's not champagne. We know it's not champagne, but it it, it gives you that little bit of fizz. It kind of can almost make you think you're drinking something bubbly and, and alcoholic.
1: Yeah, it's an adult beverage. It just doesn't have the hangover
0: effect. I mean, let's be honest. This is like an adult Shirley Temple. But <laughs> but it did Roy Rogers. Yeah. But it tastes all right. How about you? How about yours? Yeah, I like my Roy Rogers. It's a
1: kind of a morning drink. It's refreshing because of the juice and it uh the can spritz adds some nice fizz to it. So, it's uh it's a good mid-morning sort of uh wake-up drink.
0: Yeah, and the, the great thing about mocktails is we endorse drinking those any time of the day. No, no such thing as bad day drinking of a mocktail. That's
1: right. You don't have to come up with a it's five o'clock somewhere justification.
0: Well, soon enough, it'll be Thursday somewhere. Uh, a new episode of Green Docs comes out every other Thursday. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss it. Find us on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, wherever you get your listing content. And uh, do stop by our website to subscribe, greendocspodcast.com. Check out the show notes, links to the episode, and uh, keep sending us comments and questions. We have a few to answer on uh, next episode.
1: That's right. This episode of Green Docs was created by Bruce Picar and Nate Nicola and produced by Podcast 411. Check out our website, Green Docs Podcast, all one word, greendocspodcast.com, where you can like and subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Tell your friends and have a great Halloween. We'll see you every other Thursday for a new episode of Green Docs.